morning we are in the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 29 and verse 31. Genesis chapter 29 and verse 31. We pick up our reading where we left off last week. Genesis chapter 29 and verse 31. We'll read down to the conclusion of this chapter and then as the sermon progresses we'll go into the next chapter. Genesis chapter 29 and verse 31. It says, And when the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb. But Rachel was barren. And Leah conceived and bare a son. And she called his name Reuben. For she said, Surely the Lord hath looked upon my affliction. Now therefore my husband will love me. And she conceived again and bare a son and said, Because the Lord hath heard that I was hated, he hath therefore given me this son also. She called his name Simeon. And she conceived again and bare a son and said, Now this time will my husband be joined unto me because I have borne him three sons. Therefore was his name called Levi. And she conceived again and bare a son. And she said, Now will I praise the Lord. Therefore she called his name Judah and left bearing. We trust the Lord will add his blessing to the reading of his precious word. Well, as we read down this chapter last Sunday morning, we found out how it was that Jacob ended up with two wives. He'd come to the home of his uncle Laban. He had met his match. He found a man who was more manipulative and scheming than he himself was. And he ends up married not just to his love, Rachel, but also to her sister, Leah. And you'll recall that he served seven years uh, working for Laban in order to secure the hand of Rachel. And then he was tricked into this marriage of Leah, which then caused him to serve a further seven years uh, for Rachel's hand. And so he enters into this polygamous marriage. Today they would refer to it as a polyamorous relationship, the wonderful uh, term, I'm sure you'll agree. But nevertheless, the Bible has an altogether different term for it, much simpler. The Bible calls it sin. God's design in marriage is one man to one woman for life. And when we breach that rule, we end up with dysfunctionality in our homes and in our lives. That's what happened in Jacob's family, and it carried over into the lives of his children, as we'll see throughout the book of Genesis. Now, our reading this morning, leading into chapter 30, brings us to the account of a family feud between these two warring sisters, between Rachel and Leah. And it's a story of hurt, it's a story of bitterness, it's a story of envy. Actually, by the time we get to the end of this chapter, or chapter 30, we'll find that Jacob now has four wives and twelve children. And uh, these twelve children come by the means of four different mothers. It's not a pretty picture. And having entered into this rather loveless marriage, Leah is vying for the heart of her husband, uh, Jacob. And uh, Rachel resents her place in Jacob's life. She feels that she should have his sole attention and is jealous concerning him, and we understand that. And so both women enter into this contest with each other. They end up abusing their own handmaids in order to win their husband's attention and to gain his 
affection. And really that's what this listing of the sons of Jacob is about. Because you look at it and you think, well, why is the Bible just telling me this? Why is it telling me Leah had these, these children and then later Bilhah had these children and then Zilpah had these children and then Rachel had a son? Well, you know, what's the point of all of this? The point is to detail the conflict that was going on in the home and in the hearts of these two women, one with another. But we want to begin this morning in chapter 29, where we've just read verses 31 to 35, and think about Leah's blessing. Now, verse 31 really speaks of God's grace and care for Leah. It says, And when the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb. Now, here was a woman who had been used by her father uh, who was really abused by her father by uh, making her party to this trick whereby she ends up married to a husband who does not want her, does not love her. Now, of course, she's complicit. She has to go along with her father's wishes in this arrangement. Nevertheless, you have to feel something for her. You have to have a little bit of pity for her because, you know, she's experiencing unrequited love. She loves Jacob. She wants his heart. She wants to be his wife. And yet he does not love her in return. And consequently, she becomes a pitiful figure in this home. But the Lord saw her and he loved her and he blessed her nonetheless. Scripture says that she was hated by Jacob. Now there are some preachers and some Bible commentators who try to soften the blow of that term and say, well, that doesn't really mean that Jacob hated her. It just means that he neglected her, that he was slighting her a little bit. But I think we should say what the Bible says. And that, you know, the Bible says he hated her. And at first, I believe, he did hate her. You know, uh, she, she has every reason, I suppose, uh, to hate her. Uh, she's the ultimate wedding crasher. She didn't just break into the ceremony. She broke into the marriage itself and became a third party, a third wheel, if you like. And so over the years, Leah was sidelined by Jacob in favor of Rachel. And as I said last week, You know, we come to the story of Jacob and Rachel and we tend to think of it as one of the great romances of the Bible. But of these two women, it was actually Leah rather than Rachel who knew the greater blessing of the Lord. It was Leah, think about it, not Rachel as we've just read, who gives birth to Judah. In other words, she gives birth to the son who's in the Messianic line. It was Leah, rather than Rachel, who gives birth to Levi. Levi produces the priestly line. Leah gave Jacob half of his 12 sons. And in the end, when she dies, you'll find that it is Leah and not Rachel who is buried with Jacob and Abraham and Sarah in the cave of Machpelah. Leah should have been a blessing to Jacob, But he treated her like she was a blight. And yet God saw something in Leah that Jacob missed. Friends, God often sees things in people that we're prone to write off. You know, there's people that we think are a waste of space and a waste of time and uh, we have no time for them and we think they're not worth anything. Let me tell you something. God thinks they're worth something. God has a value on all of us, irrespective of who we are 
and what we're like. And so in that respect, we see him focusing upon Leah. Now, Jacob saw something in Rachel that God really has very little care for, and he saw only her beauty. He saw the external and not the internal. But remember this, the Bible says, the Lord seeth not as a man, for man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. So with the blessing of God upon her, Leah births four sons to begin with. And her words at each of those births is telling of her pain and also of her character. So as she begins this family, her heart is turned toward God and we find that she invokes his covenantal name, Jehovah the Lord, for the very first time in this chapter. She's the first person in the whole of chapter 29 that makes an appeal to God. And it says something about Leah's character. It says something about her heart. Well, she has her first son. Her first son is called Reuben. Reuben means see a son. And what she's saying is this. She's coming to her husband and she's presenting Reuben to him. See a son. I'm presenting you with a son. Now, I think if we were to think about this in, our, in terms of our own history, we might reflect back to the time of King Henry VIII when sons were prized and sons were valued more than daughters. And you remember how that Henry uh, ultimately executes and banishes his wives because they can't produce a son. Well, here's a similar situation. Only this time Leah has a son. And she comes and she presents her son uh, to Jacob in the hope that she will win his attention and affection. Look at the end of verse 32. She says, Now therefore, and what a, what a sad and pitiful line, Now therefore my husband will love me. He's not going to love me for me. At least he'll love me for bearing him a son. Then she bore Simeon. Simeon means herd. And uh, of his birth, she says, because the Lord hath heard that I was hated, uh, he hath therefore given me this son also. And she's recognizing the goodness of God with respect to her. And again, you have to feel for her. You know, she yes, she came into this marriage as a, as a third party. She shoehorned herself in. Uh, she ought not to have been there, perhaps we could argue. And yet she is. She's there by default. And you know what? Sometimes people mess up. And when people mess up, we need forgiveness. All of us need forgiveness. All of us need somebody who will give us a break once in a while. Somebody who will show us a little grace along the way. And surely, in that respect, Leah needs a little bit of grace. And yet, Jacob is unrelenting. He's refusing to accept her as his wife. You know, you have to, you have to really you know, feel for her. You know, here's the thing, friends. You know, every one of us that I've just said needs to be forgiven. And some, there may be someone in your life that needs forgiveness. There may be somebody that's come into your life at home, at work, here at church or elsewhere. And you need to let them go. You know, you need to uh, get over the past. You need to forget their wrongs and, and you need to release that person. Leah needed release. She needed to know that what she had done in the past was forgiven and forgotten. And that she could move on and build her life. But that's not the case. She has a third son whom she calls Levi. Levi means attached or joined. And notice what she says of Levi. She says, now this time, notice the phrase in verse 34. Now this time will my husband be joined unto me. In other words, he hasn't been attached to me so far. I've given him two sons, Reuben and Simeon. 
Maybe now this time, maybe now he's got a third son. He'll show me some attention. He'll give me some affection. But that's not the case. And in verse 35, she bears a fourth son. And his birth reveals resignation because no longer is the child's name attached or associated with her relationship to Jacob, but her child's name is, a, is attached to her relationship with the Lord. And she calls him Judah. And Judah means praise. Hated by her husband, resented by her sister, abused by her father, Leah rejoices in her relationship with the Lord. How we need to learn that lesson. You know what the, what the, what the psalmist said? He said, when my father and my mother forsake me, then the Lord will take me up. Isn't that a beautiful verse? When my father and mother forsake me, then the Lord will take me up. You know, friends, you ought not to allow what other people think about you or feel about you to affect your walk with God. And sometimes we do. Sometimes we let people get inside our heads and inside our skin and, and, we, and we allow those people to control our lives because of the way they feel about us. But at this point, Leah decides, well, you know what? My husband isn't going to love me. He's not loving me, but God loves me. She calls her son Judah, praying. Can I say to you, it doesn't matter who likes or dislikes you. You know, there, one of the things I've learned in pastoring is you have to grow a thick skin when you're a pastor. A thick head and a thick skin usually are helpful. And people say things and they're critical sometimes and every now and then somebody falls out with you and, and you make enemies along the way. No pastor goes into ministry to make enemies. But you do, you make, pe- you make people upset and some way, somewhere along the line and, and people you know, treat your name like it's mud and, and so on. And if you let it get to you, you'd go nowhere. You'd be crawled up in a ball in a corner somewhere and, and needing some kind of psychiatric help. And you know, you might like me, you might dislike me. It doesn't really matter because God loves me. You know, and I might like you and I might dislike you. That doesn't matter because God loves you. You're important to God because you're made in God's image. You're important to God because he sent his son from heaven to save you. And even if the whole world hates you, God loves you. And that's what Leah is conveying to us. She says, you know what? Here I am locked into this loveless marriage, hated by my husband, resented by my sister, abused by my father. But praise God, Judah, he loves me. And that's what really matters. Well, these are the first four sons that were born to Leah. Here's Leah's blessing. And then we see Rachel's brokenness. Look in verse, uh, chapter 30 and verse 1. And when Rachel saw that she bare Jacob no children, Rachel envied her sister and said unto Jacob, Give me children or else I die. And Jacob's anger was kindled against Rachel. And he said, Am I in God's stead who hath, who hath withheld from thee the fruit of the womb? And she said, Behold, my maid Bilhah, go in unto her, and she shall bear upon my knees that I may also have children by her. And she gave him Bilhah, her handmaid, to wife. And Jacob went in unto her. And Bilhah conceived and bare Jacob a son. And Rachel said, God hath judged me. 
and hath also heard my voice, and hath given me a son. Therefore called she his name Dan. And Bilhah, Rachel's maid, conceived again, and bare Jacob a second son. And Rachel said, With great wrestlings have I wrestled with my sister, and I have prevailed. And she called his name Naphtali. Now, we have to feel a measure of sympathy for Rachel also here. Because this situation isn't one of her making. She just wanted to marry her love. She only wanted to marry Jacob. She was, certainly wasn't wanting to be in this uh, polygamous uh, relationship. Uh, but nevertheless, that's where she finds herself. And so she's watching her sister birthing one son after another after another until there's four children in the family. Imagine how she feels. When she steps outside of her home and she sees Jacob outside rolling in the grass, playing with his sons, playing with Leah's sons. How do you think that makes Rachel feel? She feels like a failure. She, she feels like somehow or other, you know, she's a letdown in this relationship. And yet with all, her response to this is, is actually shameful and sinful. It's short-sighted because, again, we see something of her spiritual character. You know, often it's not our actions, but our reactions that expose who we are. That tell something about our walk with God. And notice in verse 1, there it says that Rachel reacted in a certain way. It says, Rachel envied her sister and said unto Jacob, give me children or else I die. And notice how she responds to these circumstances. She surrendered, first of all, to envy. Envy is always a mistake. Envy is always a problem. She surrenders to envy. She surrenders to unbridled anger. You can hear the anger in her voice as she says, give me children or else I die. And actually she surrenders to despair in that, in that phrase. There's a measure of hysteria uh, there. Give me children or else I die. Ironically, when she finally births Benjamin, she dies in childbirth. Be careful what you wish for. Now whereas Isaac prayed for Rebecca when she was barren. Remember, for 20 years he brought her before the throne of grace. Jacob did not. And instead, he and Rachel found themselves at loggerheads, arguing over her barrenness. She says to him, Give me children or else I die. And he says, Am I in God's stead who hath withheld from thee the fruit of the womb? There's an argument going on in that home. There's tension in that home. There's heated discussion taking place in that home. Can I say to you, there's a lesson here for husbands and wives. You know, husbands, I want to encourage you to be careful with your words. Be careful about what you say to your wife. Don't break your wife's spirit with pointed and barbed words. Jacob's words were cutting. Am I in God's stead who hath held from thee? From thee, the fruit of the womb. He laid the blame of infertility at her door, of barrenness at her door, squarely, and he suggested that God's curse was upon her. Let me ask you a question. How did that help her? Did that make her feel better about things? Did that give her more security in the relationship? Did it help her adjust to the idea of Leah having sons and she not having sons? No, it hurt her. 
It hurt her deeply. It was a dagger through her heart. And so, husbands, you've got to be careful. You know, I include myself in this. We've got to be careful about the things that we say, the responses that we make when speaking to our wives. And wives, you've got to be careful about nagging your husband. Because men don't respond well to constant carping. And that's what you see here. Now look in the book of Proverbs chapter 19 and verse 23. The book of Proverbs speaks to this subject several times. Four times in all actually in the book. But we'll look at just two verses. The verses are much the, much the same. Proverbs 19 and verse 23. Or sorry, verse 13. Proverbs 19 verse 13. It says, a foolish son is the calamity of his father. That's not what we're interested in. But notice the second half of this verse. And the contentions of a wife are a continual dropping. What does that mean? The contentions of a wife are a continual dropping. Well, it means it's just miserable. You know, she keeps on and 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 on. The Bible says it's like rain that never stops. And we know all about that living in Northern Ireland, don't we? When Hazel and I stepped off the boat on the 4th of August last year, we left England, the sun was shining. It was glorious. We came all the way across the Irish Sea. There wasn't a ripple on the sea. The sun was shining till we got to Belfast Lock. And there was a dirty big grey cloud hanging over Cave Hill Mountain. And it started to rain as we got off the boat. And it rained every day for 18 days. I know because I counted those days. And I thought, what have we done? And, you know, you might be surprised, but even the Midlands of England has more sunshine than Northern Ireland. And those days, you know, looking out, we were in this little cottage, you know, very graciously rented out to us by a dear Christian couple. But it was a tiny little cottage and the rain was coming down every day. The rain was coming down, the rain was coming down, the rain. Do you know what that does to your spirit? It just, it just crushes your spirit. And you're just longing, longing for a sunny day. So you can get out the door and go and do something and enjoy the day. The Bible says that's what a woman's continual nagging is like in the life of a husband. It's like there's a cloud hanging over his head and she's just raining on him every single day. And his spirit is dropping with each moment. Look at chapter 25 and verse 24 of Proverbs. It says it's better to dwell in the corner of the housetop. Proverbs 25, 24. It is better to dwell in the corner of the housetop than with a brawling woman. In a wide house. What does that mean? God says from a man's point of view, he'd be happier if he's in a little corner of the house. He'd be happier in a little room. Or we might call it a man cave. He'd be happier in a little hovel of a room. On his own. Doing whatever he does in there. Than have the whole house to share with a woman who's making life miserable for him. So there's a message for both husbands and wives here. Well, what was Rachel going to do? If you go back to Genesis chapter 30, she comes up with a plan. She decides that she's going to give Bilhah 
to her husband. And just like her father before her, she was a, she was a schemer. Uh, she had, you know, again, learned a behavior. Here's the reality of learned behaviors. We talked about this in the life of Abraham and Isaac. Generational sin, how one generation passes on its habits and its sins to the next generation. And that's what we find here. Uh, she decides, well, you know, I can't naturally compete with Leah, but I can compete with Leah if I employ Bilhah to serve me with children. And so she does that. She contracts Bilhah to be a surrogate mother for her. And uh, you know, desperation often leads to fleshly ideas, fleshly schemes. Bilhah means bashful. This woman presumably was a shy, retiring woman. She was a woman who was in a vulnerable position, being a maid in the house. She's virtually a slave uh, to uh, Rachel. And so Rachel uh, basically uh, uh, forces her uh, to have this child, compels her to have this child. And so Jacob sleeps with Bilhah, just as Abraham had to sleep with Hagar. And Bilhah conceives and gives birth whilst lying between her mistress's knees. Symbolically then, according to that culture, she is giving birth on behalf of her mistress. And so the first child that Bilhah has is a boy, and uh, they call him Dan. Rachel calls him Dan, which means judgment or vindicator. And she says, see, I'm vindicated. She believed that her actions were right, that the end justified the means. Friend, the end never justifies the means. That's a secular idea. That's a humanistic idea. The Christian should be as ethical in his means as he is in the end. So the end, just because it turned out right in the end, doesn't mean it was right in between. And so she, she says, I've been avenged. Uh, you know, here's Dan, the judgment. And so she could offer her son, or, her, as a, or offer her husband a son like Leah had done. Except, of course, he wasn't her son. Like Leah, she speaks also of God as he brings Dan into the world. God hath judged me. Speaks of God in general terms. Doesn't use his covenantal name. You can see that her walk with the Lord is not quite uh, as, uh, as strong as Leah's walk with the Lord. And then she has a second son whom she calls Naphtali. And Naphtali means wrestler. And notice she describes this battle. She says, with great wrestlings in verse 8, have I wrestled with my sister. And notice she claims victory. I have prevailed. Barnhouse comments, can a woman get so low that she will hit her sister over the head with a baby? Rachel did. So the name, Naphtali, indicates a struggle, a fight, a battle, a contest, a competition, a fight for Jacob's heart, a fight to push Leah out the door. Rachel intended to win this fight. Let me ask you a question. Is this a happy home? If you were in this home, if you were one of the parties to this family, would you say, well, this is a, this is a lovely home to live in? No, it's a miserable home. And that's what happens when we allow ourselves and our homes to depart from God's word and, and the values of God's word and from God's order for the home. Then notice Leah's backsliding, verse 9. When Leah saw that she had left bearing, she took Silpa her maid and gave her Jacob the wife. And Silpa, Leah's maid, bare Jacob a son. And Leah said, A troop cometh, and she called his name God. 
And Silpa, Leah's maid, bare Jacob a second son. And Leah said, Happy am I, for the daughters will call me blessed. And she called his name Asher. Now, this is the case of anything you can do, I can do better. Leah, not to be undone by Rachel, goes down the same route. She's drawn into deeper strife with her sister. She's effectively saying, listen, two can play at that game. Do you ever hear somebody say that? Two can play at that game. You know, when somebody says that, that's usually not a game you should be playing. And so she uses her handmaid, Zilpah, as a surrogate mother. Zilpah means frailty. Again, we have this a weaker woman, perhaps even again a vulnerable woman who was being abused by an authority figure in her life, just as Leah had been abused by her own father in the deception of Jacob. Zilpah bears two sons. Now God is interesting. Notice what God means. She says, a troop cometh. (laughs) What's she saying there? She's saying to her sister, listen, you think you can outbirth me? I've got four sons. You have two by Bilhah. Do you think you can outdo me? I don't think so. Watch. And she has Zilpah impregnated by Jacob. And she says, I'm telling you now, there's a troop coming. She says, we've got a dozen more kids where they came from. I can bring as many children into this world as I like. And you're still barren. It was spiteful. It was mean. But friends, here's the principle. And I want you to get this principle. Hurt people hurt people. People who are hurt hurt others. And that's what you're seeing in this chapter. Rachel is hurting her sister Leah. And Leah is hurting her sister Rachel. And both women are hurting Zilpah and Bilhah. And actually they're both hurting the man they love, Jacob. There's complete disruption in this home. She calls the second son Asher, which means happy, happy am I, she says in verse 13. But notice why she's happy. For the daughters, that is the other women, will call me blessed. You know, she's now no longer seeking the blessing of God, the the pleasure of God. She's looking to her peers. She's saying, you know, other women are going to meet me at the school gate and they're going to look at my six little kids and they're going to say, you're really blessed. Friends, when your life is lived for the pleasure of others alone, You're going the wrong way. In everything we do in life, we have an audience of one to please. And that's God. He's the only one we have to please. But Leah took leave of that principle and backslid. And there, notice her bounty. Let's look at verse 14. And Reuben went in the days of wheat harvest and found mandrakes in the field and brought them unto his mother Leah. Then Rachel said to Leah, Give me, I pray thee, of thy son's mandrakes. And she said unto her, Is it a small matter that thou hast taken my husband? And wouldest thou take away my son's mandrakes also? And Rachel said, Therefore he shall lie with thee tonight for thy son's mandrakes. And Jacob came out of the field in the evening, and Leah went out to meet him and said, Thou must come in unto me. For surely I have hired thee with my son's mandrakes. And he lay with her that night, and God hearkened unto Leah, and she conceived and bare Jacob the fifth son. And Leah said, God hath given me my hire, because I have given my maiden to my husband, and she called his name Issachar. And Leah conceived again and bare Jacob the sixth son. 
And Leah said, God hath endowed me with a good dowry. Now will my husband dwell with me because I have borne him six sons. And she called his name Zebulun. And afterwards she bare a daughter and called her name Dinah. Now Reuben is probably about four or five years of age at this time. And he comes in from the field and he does what all little boys do at some point. He brings a gift for his mother. You know how children will come in from the field and they'll have a pile of dandelions in their hands when they're small and they'll hand you those dandelions and you have to act like that's the greatest bouquet of flowers you've ever been given in your entire life. You probably go and get a little vase and put them in water and go, those are lovely, son. And then, you know, you're thinking to yourself, I can't wait till he goes to bed and I can chuck these out. Well, that's the situation. Wee boy comes in from the field. He has some fruit in his hand. He has what's called mandrakes, literally love apples, a yellow plum-like fruit that was eaten in that particular culture that was superstitiously believed to be an aphrodisiac. They would allow you to birth children. And so he offers these fruits in innocence to his mother. But spotting the gift, Rachel sees an opportunity. She thinks to herself, I could, I could do that. I could have those, those love apples. I could have those mandrakes. And I could take those and have some children of my own. So she bargains with Leah and she ends up effectively prostituting her own husband. She says to him, says to her, well, look, give me your mandrakes. Give me those fruits and I can bear children. And she says, ha! Don't think so. You took my husband in the first place. Do you think I'm also going to give you my son's gift? And Rachel says, listen, if you give him to me, I'll let him sleep with you tonight. And so she effectively sells her husband off. And Jacob is so weak. He's such, he's such a pathetic husband that he just willingly goes along with anything for a quiet life. Are you that kind of husband? Just go along with it for a quiet life. Whatever your wife wants. Now, I'm a big believer in happy wife, happy life. But there's times when you have to have an unhappy wife. Because it's the right thing to do. You can't keep her happy all the time. Sometimes you have to say no. And sometimes you have to say that's not the way we're going and that's not the way we're going to do it. Listen to me. You know, there are some husbands and, and they're just weak. Weak. They allow themselves to be pushed around and, and everything the wife says goes and, and yes dear, yes dear, yes dear. Listen, some men need to grow a backbone instead of a wishbone. Be the man in your house, be the head of your home and give spiritual direction to your home. Be the father in your home, be the figure of authority in your home. That's what God called you to you say, Pastor, that's not the way it is anymore. It may not be how it is in the world, but look at the way the world's going. But that's how it is in God's order of things. In any case, it's Leah who gives birth and not Rachel who surrenders herself to superstitious notions. And it's Leah who brings two more sons into the world, Issachar and Zebulun. And she says, God has given me my hire. The name Issachar means hire or reward. And, and whatever we may think of the morality of all of this, at least she acknowledges that the children she's bearing are the heritage of the Lord. Evidently, with the birth of Issachar, Jacob's attention is again turned toward Leah. And she bears him a sixth son, Zebulun, which means dwelling with honor. That's all she's ever wanted in this story. From the very first we've read this passage to the very last, all this woman wants is for her husband to honor her, to love her, to treat her right, to respect her. That's all she wants. 
And even at the last, she calls this son Sebulun, dwelling with honor. And finally, she gives him his, his only daughter, Dinah. And Dinah means avenged. In other words, when Dinah's born, she says, that's the end of it. I've won. I have six children. She has two children. The game's over. It's up. I'm the winner. I've been avenged. And she has no more to offer. Well, look at Rachel's blessing then in the end. In verse 22. And after, it says, And God remembered Rachel, and God hearkened to her, and opened her womb. And she conceived and bare a son, and said, God hath taken away my reproach. And she called his name Joseph, and said, The Lord shall add to me another son. I like that little phrase, And God remembered Rachel. You know, we started this reading today, and it says, And the Lord saw that Leah was hated. He loved Leah. But he didn't neglect Rachel. The Lord remembered Rachel. Why? Because at the very last, Rachel, it seems, remembered God. She's exhausted of all human effort. She's done everything she can to bring children into the world, and all she's got is two sons by a handmaid. And she finally throws up the white flag of surrender. And she acknowledges and bows to God's will in the end. And for the first time, she conceives and brings Joseph into the world. Now, Joseph means, listen to the phrase, may he, the Lord, add. She's recognizing that her blessings in life rest entirely upon the Lord. That she needs to give up on her own willful approach. She says, God hath taken away my reproach. God has taken away my shame. God has taken away my sin. The Lord shall add to me another, another son. And she calls him, uh, both, calls the Lord both God and Lord. She employs the covenantal name. Now, this is a pretty sorry episode. And actually, it's a very important episode because when we get to Genesis chapter 49, all of these names and all of these sons are going to be the heads of the tribes of Israel. And each one of those names has a prophetic significance. Each one of the characters of the sons has a prophetic significance, which we'll see when we get to chapter 49. Uh, but, but just looking at it as a narrative, it's a tale of envy and hurt and conflict, immorality, bitterness, and abuse. And this is what happens when men and women forsake the Lord's ways. They end up with scars. They collect baggage along the way. And what a salutary lesson this is for us this morning. If we will commit ourselves to God's way, to God's value system, if we will commit ourselves to God's marriage, if we will consider ourselves to his order and build sound relationships and treat one another well and, and do as we ought to do with our spouses and with our children, we'll find that we save ourselves a great deal of heartache. You know, so many young people today have abandoned the scriptures and they've abandoned marriage for cohabitation for living together and they say well that's just as good as marriage I'm afraid it isn't just as good as marriage you say well what's the difference let me tell you the difference 
One day I was driving along a road listening to a radio show. There was a quiz on. I like a quiz. A gentleman came on who was one of the contestants in the quiz. They asked him questions about himself, who he was, what he did for a living, and so on. And uh, in the course of that conversation, the uh, host of the show said, well, tell us something about yourself. And the man says, well, my name is so-and-so, and blah 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 And he says, and my current partner is, and he named her, my current partner. You know, if I introduced my wife as my current wife, how do you think that would go down for, at dinner? <laughs> huh? I said, here's Hazel, she's my current wife. <laughs> it's not going to be a good day, is it? There'll be more than nagging going on. She's going to say, what do you mean current wife? I'm your wife. And there's the difference. The marriage is a covenant agreement between you, your spouse, and the Lord. And Christian people who commit to it, commit to it for life. My wife isn't my current wife. She's my wife. Full stop. End of. My commitment to her is wholesale, as hers is to me. And that's how it ought to be. So young people, if somebody comes along and says to you, listen, marriage is no different from living together. It's the same thing. Marriage is just a piece of paper. That's a devil's lie. You know, it's like going into the shop. And the shopkeeper says, that's 20 pounds. And you say, oh, that's just a piece of paper. See how that goes down. I think you'll find that he'll want that piece of paper. Because it means something to the transaction. And whilst it's true that a marriage certificate is just a piece of paper, it means something to the transaction. It's a statement of my agreement and covenant with my wife. Or she with her husband. So don't fall for this lie that, you know, oh, marriage is old hat and, and just living with one person for the rest of your life, that's a mistake. You will have many partners and live with many people and have many children by many different fathers or many different mothers. No, put that behind you. Do it God's way. Do it God's way. Save yourself the heartache. Look out into the world and ask yourself, are those homes happy homes? Very often they're dysfunctional homes. Here was a family that was at war with itself. Uh, let me ask you a question this morning as we close. Are you at war with someone today? Is there a battle raging with someone in your life? Is there someone who's, when their name comes into the conversation, your heckles go up? If there's someone you're in conflict with, well, here's my message to you this morning. Stop it. Stop it. Be a peacemaker, not a troublemaker. Is there someone that perhaps you need to forgive today? Someone who's hurt you? Someone who's offended you? Someone who's left a wound? You need to forgive need to let that go. Don't bear grudges. Release that person. In setting them free, you set your own spirit free. 
James summarizes all of this in one verse, James 3 and 16, when he says this. For where envying and strife is, there is confusion and every evil work. We began chapter 30 and verse 1 that says, Rachel envied her sister. We went, read down the text and she calls her son Naphtali, for I have wrestled with my sister. Envy, strife. What did it lead to? Confusion and every evil work. In one verse, James sums up Jacob's home life. It was full of confusion, instability, disorder and sin. This was not a happy home. It was not a happy home for Jacob. It wasn't a happy home for Rachel. It wasn't a happy home for Leah. It wasn't a happy home even for their children, as we'll see. And actually, if you're in a similar place, it's not a happy home for you either. Put away your strife. Forgive, forget, and learn to live at peace with those around you by the grace of God. Can I say to you that we are never more Christ-like than when we learn to forgive and to love our enemies. May God bless these thoughts to your hearts this morning.